podcast is brought to you in collaboration with Core Blimey You Beauty. Core Blimey You Beauty, you've probably seen me post her a million times and you're probably aware that she's my actual real life friend. But when I tell you that her facials are literally the best in the world, or the best that I've ever had, definitely. I'm not just saying that because she's my friend. I am saying that because truly she is fantastic. Uh, she's based in North London, uh, easy to get to, right by the Alexandra Palace train station. She specialises in electrical face and body treatments. Her services include a wide range of facials, treating skin concerns such as acne, dry skin, dehydration, hyperpigmentation, and her treatments include extractions of blackheads, skin resurfacing, chemical peels, and dermaplaning. Her body treatments include non-surgical cellulite treatments, booty lifts, stretch marks, back and booty facials. Uh, She's had some amazing clients. If you go to her page, you'll see some of them like Anthony Joshua, seriously still pissed off that she didn't invite me in that day. Uh, Maya Jama, Patricia Bright, uh, Sex Educations, Noru Gatwa, Katie Piper, Ash Nico and Tweely, to name just a few. Um, I could not recommend her more highly. Uh, Her waiting list is very long. So if you want to book in with her, get in now. She's well worth it. You can find her on Instagram at coreblimeyoubeauty, all one word. Um, And on there, if you just go to her uh, link in her bio, you will find uh, where to book. So get in there. She's amazing. I love her. Support women, support black owned businesses and give her a follow. Hello and welcome to the La 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 Let Me Explain podcast. And today I have two fantastic, fabulous guests. and we are focusing on dating with disabilities. The two guests that I have in today are the wonderful, incomparable Kathy, that single mum who describes herself as an editor, occasional journalist uh, with a disability, parenting. Oh, do you know what? I'm reading this off the Insta bio and it doesn't sound right. With a disability, parenting, politics, intersectionality. But that does sum you up. You are basically a badass mum political force to be reckoned with Instagram educator on disability and I say that because I have learned so much from you uh, about disability and about parenting disabled children thank you um but yeah Kathy at that single mum um and Kathy you have dwarfism yes is that right and do you know I, I was reading one of your posts and there was some confusion in the comments from people who were like, am I, you know, isn't dwarfism a rude term? Um, Shouldn't we call the uh, people with dwarfism little people? Um, And I've heard that before. I think there's some contention between America and the UK about the right language. Yeah, definitely. So um, dwarfism isn't a rude term. It's just literally what I have. Um, And so I'm totally fine with it being used. Um, and a lot of people in America like being called uh, little person or little people. Um, and in the UK, that's kind of bled into the UK as well. But for me personally, I don't feel like it's... Firstly, I don't feel like it's descriptive enough. Mm. Like children are little people. Like what does little person mean? <laughs> yeah. And secondly, I feel like I'm like from the Sylvanian families or something. Mm. It doesn't feel... Um, uh, 
worthy of the same kind of level of respect as the word dwarfism does. Yeah. Um, and it just feels like I'm kind of avoiding calling it what it is. Yeah. So. And But what if somebody, are you able to say, Kathy is a dwarf, is that... Um, offensive no i don't think that's offensive i don't mind but i prefer kathy has dwarfism right because for me um i mean i don't know if you feel the same joy but like for me it i am so many things beyond mm. that um and so um kathy is a dwarf kind of implies that is my identity and yeah my identity identities extends way beyond that yeah. So uh, so the other person we have here is Joy, <laughs> the amazing Joy from Joy's podcast. No, Joy's world. world, the podcast. Mm -hmm. I always get that wrong, even when I'm looking for you online. <laughs> Joy's world, the podcast. And Joy's Joy is a fat, black, blind, single mother of one. And we just discussed at the beginning of whether, <laughs> I mean, that sounds great in your Insta caption, but for me saying Joy is a fat, black, single mother of one, it kind of doesn't have the same, might sound a bit dodgy to describe <laughs> you in that way, but that's who you are. Yeah, I mean, that is, you know, sums me up a little bit, I guess. But um, yeah, that is how I chose. And, and at first when I was thinking, you know, how can I get people to kind of listen to my podcast and understand who I am? Because uh, I've had people say I should break it down into categories. So either to just talk about my life being blind or partially sighted. Uh, or just talking about being a mom, or just being but I was like no but I'm all these things and all these things affect me mm. and so like I can't talk about being a mom without talking about being a mom with a disability mm -hmm. and I can't talk about being a mom with a disability without also being black and also being fat do you know what I mean mm -hmm. so it's um yeah I thought just put it all in one it's interesting because none of those words should be offensive but it's it's almost that's why I was kind of like oh can I say that yeah you know because actually saying the word fat has been demonized yeah. to the point where calling someone fat is actually a criticism or a cuss yeah. word so but actually the ownership of that yeah I'm fat like yeah I just feel like do you know what I am <laughs> yeah like, I could try and say oh I'm plus size I'm curvy but you're fat yeah. it and, it, and it shouldn't be a problematic term you yeah. know what I mean it should be a descriptive term yeah of what your body looks like or mm. is and and that's it it shouldn't be something that's so loaded with you know offense yeah I'm just kind of I guess there are some people that are reclaiming it and I feel like I am one of those so yeah. I'm just yeah so it's interesting because with, with, with as Kathy was saying um you know it would it wouldn't work to say Kathy is uh, a dwarf yeah Kathy has dwarfism so what how would that work in terms of blindness would I say Joy is blind I mean yeah I mean I totally agree with what Kathy was saying it's it's hard because it's like when I'm out and about and say I'm at the station and I'm getting assistance and they're like we have a visually impaired person here and I'm just like <laughs> it's not just you know like it's hard because I understand that it's a part of me mm. but it's not 100% who I am and I feel like saying like joy has a visual impairment is better than being like oh the blind girl because yeah. that's how some people address us and um yeah as Kathy was saying it's just it's just it's one part of us you know um it doesn't define me at all so mm. yeah I'm kind of 
yeah, it's hard because also I understand that sometimes people are not trying to cause offence, but it's it's like we need to understand that people are more than their disability, so we don't need to just, you know, like we wouldn't go around saying, oh, the white person. Yes. <laughs> it's yeah. not like, okay, just person, just yeah. do you know? So yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it's really important to do this podcast on dating with disabilities because I do think that having a disability, you know, without a doubt is going to add an extra factor to dating that you wouldn't experience if you didn't have a disability. Um, I think one of the points that somebody raised when I asked for questions, which I always do uh, from my followers, um, one of the things that somebody said, there was a couple of criticisms like this, which um, they said, this is too broad. Disability is an individual thing. You cannot do a podcast on dating with disabilities. You can only ask the adult in front of you about their specific disability and how it impacts on them. And I recognise that. And of course, you can't represent all disabled people and your experience is going to be completely unique to yourself. Um, And I can't get every disabled person in the world into this studio But I think it's still a really important conversation to have, even if it's only being represented by two people who have their own two unique experiences. I think, um, yeah, I agree with that. (laughs) And um, I think, I mean, we were talking about this just before we started recording. We could apply that same logic to anyone you interview. Um, If you've got someone on who's talking about being trans or being a feminist or um, being black and dating, you know, obviously everyone is going to have different experiences. And it's the same for disabled people as well. And I would never claim to be a spokesperson for disabled people or for people with dwarfism because we're not all the same and we do have different views and we have different understandings of the world and different experiences and different preferences. But I think just even being able to talk about this, like disability and romance are two words that never go together Mm. ever um and even just to have a podcast episode that broaches this topic is pretty revolutionary for us because we're not afforded that space usually and so if there are any disabled people who are listening to this who think wow I feel seen by something that Joy said or I completely resonate with something Kathy said or whatever um like that's amazing for us because we never feel seen Mm. yeah yeah I totally agree and it's it's a case of you know obviously we can't as Kathy said we can't represent all disabled people you know we I've I never claimed to represent the visually impaired community or the blind community at all but I represent myself and it is different uh dating when you have a disability and it is something that should be um talked about in the mainstream and that's the thing you know it doesn't always have to be a side thing you know we don't always have to be on the undatables we can be you know we should talk about that shouldn't we because actually that's so the un even the name the undatables the connotations of that are just like well why are they undateable who said that they're undateable you know and I guess, it, you know, it was actually, some of it was just lovely, the undateables. I watched some of it and just absolutely felt so much joy and happiness. And um, and actually, they did seem to treat people quite fairly. I'm, uh, from my memory, I can't remember any horrible editing. But I think it's, it's such a thing, isn't it? Like, why would people with disabilities or learning needs 
be deemed undateables. Yeah, it's um, it's weird. And I remember I used to work somewhere, and we all was um, or we all was, we all are uh, blind or partially sighted, and they sent an email asking if any of us wanted to go on the undateables, and I was like, no. No thanks, um, but yeah, I, I know. I, I think people have their different opinions on it, but I would just love, love to see just uh, people with disabilities representing on your average dating First show. Date, That's so, it. Yeah, like yeah. I, I feel like you know, there's no harm in that. Like literally, when I watch like first dates, and I, I remember one time I saw um, a deaf lady, and. I was like, yeah, this is great. Like it was. It's just why? Why do we have to have something separate all the time? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Totally. It's just talking about the undateables has just triggered a memory when um, I was getting married. I got married um, in West Africa. And um, when um, I was getting married, somehow someone from a TV production company caught wind of that um, and kind of slid into my emails. This is a really long time ago. Slid into my emails and said... Um, you know, we'd like to film this for a programme on Channel 5. Um, and the focus would be you being a disabled woman who gets the chance to get married. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, I mean, it was tempting. <laughs> no, um, I, I said no, but I did say to them, would you pay for the wedding? <laughs> <laughs> Take advantage a little yeah. bit. God, get the chance to get married. That lucky man had the chance to marry you. Right. right. And now you are divorced, aren't you? I am divorced. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> I got the chance to get divorced. Well done. <laughs> did they want to film that? <laughs> yeah. That, probably be more interesting. You did actually a really good thread. I don't know if you saved that to highlights. Um, Kathy did an amazing thread about divorce because I think it's sort of little talked about until you get to the stage when you're divorcing and then you get hit with all of these you know rules and regulations and costs and it's not it's not right. an easy process is it right and I think when you're swept up in the whole marriage <coughs> thing obviously you're not thinking about divorce mm. and you're not you're not kind of thinking um well how how would I do that and I think and you because you, you you assume that you would never have to be in that position um but I think if we kind of I think that marriage is um, obviously still viewed as something that's forever. And in a lot of cases, it's not. And divorce is still really um, taboo, even though it's really popular now. Um, and I think we kind of need to own that fact a bit more um, in getting married and in choosing to go through that. I think we need to own the idea that it might not work out and that will be okay, but what, so what am I going to do to look after myself and inform myself mm. if it doesn't? Because if you have that in your mind going into that union, it's not going to make you more likely to divorce. It's going to be make you less scared yeah. if you're in that situation where you really need to go through that. Yeah, that's why I think it's really important uh, for women especially to um, have their own separate savings. Don't do everything as a joint account have that little fund and it's not pessimistic I don't think having a like just in case fund is is going to doom your marriage in any way it's just sensible and if you never have to use it then great you've got a massive stack for a rainy day when you're in your 70s or whatever and you're like okay we're, we're probably going to stay together now mm. um 
But I think it's really sensible because actually d- divorce is very expensive. It can be very costly. Things don't, I mean, I've got a friend who's divorcing at the moment and she's the higher earner. And now she's going through a process of potentially having to give him half of everything, potentially sell the house, you know, makes me really think that actually I don't think I would get married even if I had the opportunity. Mm. I know for some people marriage is really important because of religion and beliefs and whatever. Marriage is not that important to me. But I think the biggest thing that would put me off it would be the whole divorce thing. Like what, you you know, especially if you're the higher earner. Um, So it's definitely something to think about, isn't it? So, um, I mean, you do a podcast, don't you? You do your own podcast. I've been listening to a bit of it. It's absolutely (laughs) great. Again, it's a one-man podcast. I was saying this to Megan Rose Lane when she was on mine a little while ago. I don't think I could do a one-man podcast. I would not be able to fill that time. But you do it really successfully. You just chat away about the stuff that's happened in your day. Um, And it's not such a focus, really, on disability. But the stuff that you talk about, like I heard you... um, I was listening to one that you spoke about where you went for a hospital appointment, not related in any way to you being blind. Mm -hmm. Um, You went for a scan, didn't you? Yeah. And you went with your, was it your auntie? Yeah, my auntie. Would you want to tell the story of what happened? Yeah, so basically it's it's really, it's really strange because it was not that long ago, it was a few weeks ago, well, a few months ago maybe, but still like during this corona times. And so I asked my auntie to come with me. Usually I'd go by myself because I'd be able to get assistance when I got there. But um, I knew that because of corona, people are not... um, assisting as much so I was like I really can't be asked to get lost in this big hospital so um, my auntie was like yeah I'll come with you so we got there and it was just it's so weird because there was a nurse and what what you find is when you can't see people seem to speak to the person that you're with so whoever's guiding you they feel like if you can't see you must not be able to hear as well I don't know Mm. maybe they think you don't understand I don't know I get that too do you (laughs) it's just weird it's like it's it's so irritating honestly so this nurse was just literally directing questions at my auntie is she okay uh does can she follow me this way and i'm thinking wow and i was like yeah i can hear (laughs) and so yeah and literally i was doing a scan of my chest and i've got a large chest so literally i had to um she wanted to move one of my breasts out the way uh rather than asking me she looked at my auntie and was like uh can you move her breast out the way oh my god <laughs> it was like wow. um i can do it <laughs> i'm used to lifting them every day to get them in the bra <laughs> squeeze them in it's fine um but yeah it was just a really horrible experience in in what i mean by that is i know there's worse things going on in the world i don't like to complain but i like to complain on my podcast <laughs> but i just feel like this woman is a nurse mm. like i would expect you to have a tad more common sense you know yeah what how does the connection to she can't see properly how does that connect to she can't hold her own boob i don't don't understand yeah (laughs) do you know what i mean like it's so weird literally treating like you like you're absolutely just incapable in fact you can't listen speak or do anything independently yeah it's weird i just wish people would ask more questions but also i just wish Mm. people were a more educated which is why i do my podcast and 
And although I do talk about having a visual impairment a lot, I talk about every aspect of my life because I need people to understand that just because you have a visual impairment, that's not the only thing going on in your life. Mm. We're out here popping pussy like the rest of you. <laughs> so I just think people need to get that. And, and then these little stories like that will happen now and again. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. It's interesting you say that that happens to you as well. So if you're out with like a friend or whatever, yeah, people will direct. People will direct, like probably not as not as um, severe as as the example you just gave. But people will direct like questions to whoever I'm with. They'll ask, you know, what would they like to do, and not <laughs> question what I would like to do. Um, <sighs> Or things like that, and quite often, um, I mean, I mean, I've learned that quite often that's a kind of a tactic from someone that is just completely freaked out by my disability mm. and can't um, can't handle it in the moment, and so kind of just pretends that I don't exist. Um, but yeah, it's I, I agree with what Joy was saying. Like people just need to be a bit bolder with asking, and yeah. it's okay if you mess up when you're asking. It's so much better yeah so much better yeah Mm. would much rather you ask the question like how's best to assist you do you know what i mean that's literally it and then i can say to you like it's so easy yeah don't be like i I just wish people would not be so scared people are so scared of maybe i don't know a offending but also some people just are ignorant and they want to be ignorant they don't want to change but if you don't want to be ignorant just ask it's really like honestly it's not difficult and as Kathy said, people won't get offended if you're asking how to help. Do you know what I mean? But, but professionals really need this training. It's like when you use interpreters. So I've obviously throughout my career had to use interpreters loads of times to speak to people who can't speak English. Um, but what I have seen on so many occasions is like colleagues of mine or whatever, instead of speaking directly to the non-English speaker, they act like that person's not there and everything goes via the interpreter. Tell her that she does it, ask her, did it, but no, you're supposed to speak directly to the person and mm. the interpreter's just supposed to be a voice there between the two of you. Um, and and I, I only learned that because I was trained on that, you know? And so it, sh- it I, I don't understand why it's not completely basic training for any professional that's going to come into contact with any human to not have that understanding of how to treat people properly you know what i mean <laughs> it's fucking weird um so can we talk a bit about both your disabilities and how they uh, affect you and have affected you know i'm interested to know so you, you we you became blind at four is that right yeah so i was born with the condition it's called chronic uveitis and it's inflammation in the back of the eye mm-hmm. and it now affects my body so I've got rheumatoid arthritis in my left knee so it's like kind of developed over the years but I was born with it but they didn't know until I was four my mum said <laughs> she was telling me the other day she's like Joy you kept falling over <laughs> and Aww. bumping into things and I and she was like it was it was because I have an older sister and she's like you wasn't doing you know you were, you just kept like say there was toys and things you wouldn't reach for them you was she said that she knew something was wrong and she said that um one eye was smaller than the other she went to the doctors they said no she's fine she's developing and they said she's a paranoid mother wow they wouldn't take her seriously and then 
I think, yeah, one time I knocked into a lamppost and knocked my tooth out and she was like, no, I'm going to the hospital and I'm not leaving till they tell me what's wrong with her eye. And eventually we like think two consultants saw me and then they was like, oh yeah, she's got this um, condition and yeah my mum was she was kind of like blaming herself at first because um she used to smoke all through her pregnancies and stuff (laughs) mum's gonna kill me for saying that (laughs) but hey um and they was like no it's nothing to do with that they was like it just you know it just happens and so over the years um my eyesight got worse so when I was younger I could walk about without a cane or anything when I was a teenager it was getting much worse I had to start wearing really thick glasses um when I was nine they removed the lens in my right eye so I was blind in the right eye from the age of nine so it was only the left eye I've had about 14 surgeries in my left eye to keep me with some kind of vision um and yeah they said I could grow out of it in my 20s but I'm 26 now I ain't grown out of nothing (laughs) um so yeah I've just kind of accepted that this is the level of sight I'm gonna have and I just hope that it doesn't get any worse I think they said I've got about 10% vision and that's with the help of really thick glasses Mm. and did you find it has was secondary school or school problematic for you in terms of people's attitudes and yeah secondary school is very problematic I think I was I've always been a character so I've always I think when I was in school I kind of was very defensive because I was losing the sight it was getting worse and I didn't want anyone to know Mm. I was very embarrassed um I had a support worker actually and um she used to have to sit with me at the front of the class she used to take notes for me because I couldn't see the board I used to have like really large exam papers and it was embarrassing I was so embarrassed I didn't want to use a cane um my friends I used to just link their arms all the time and walk around because I wasn't accepting it and Mm. it wasn't until I was about 16 17 I think I kind of was like it literally got to a point where I had to use a cane because I literally couldn't you know go down the street without it and once I accepted it it was the best thing Mm. because then I was able to live my life properly. How did you get to that point? My mum, she was like, you was doing your washing and ironing, um, your washing and ironing before you lost your sight and you're going to do it now. <laughs> um, yeah, I used to do things. I used to iron one time I burnt my arm and she was like, it's okay. Like, well, you know, just don't worry. Do it again. We'll be careful, you know, and things like that. My mum was very persistent in teaching me to be independent and that's why I was able to move out when I was 18. I lived on my own from the age of 18. And um, yeah, I think it was her. It was her strength and she got everything in place that I needed, like a freedom pass, the blue badge, just every, like she got everything and it kind of, as I say, it just helped me live an independent life. Mm. And I think that's how I grew to accept it because I saw what I could do people used to judge her and be like why are you letting her go to the shop on her own she can't see what if she drops the money what if she does this what she does that my mum used to let me go to the shop and she used to follow me like but I didn't know and my sister used to tell me like mum was following you because she was worried but she wanted you to do it yeah because like even finding a shop was such a big achievement for me at that age because it was really difficult. And then once the shopkeepers got to know me, they would be like, you're all right, what do you need? Blah, blah, blah. They'll help me. And yeah, that was how I accepted it. Your mum sounds fantastic. Really <laughs> pragmatic. Just get on with it. Like, I, I really love the sound of your mum. I wonder if the fact that she was black contributed to them not taking her seriously when you initially went in 
when she initially went in about your eyesight yeah I mean it definitely could be a factor because I have a friend as well and she actually had a brain tumor and they told her mom the same thing she I think she lost her son when she was three and they told her mom exactly the same thing you're paranoid there's nothing wrong with her and there was mm. and she lost all of her sight um so yeah I I think that definitely probably is a factor but it's um, it's a hard one, isn't it? Because you just obviously it's, that was years ago now, so it's kind of like, how are we gonna know? But I feel like as a mum, sometimes you just know these things, yeah. and she knew, and that's why I think I always say to people like, you have to know yourself, like know yourself, know your body, and like when something's not right, just like address it. And that's the same like with your child. If you feel like, you know what, my child's a bit sick or whatever, not, you know, not necessarily with a disability, but just sick in general. Like, just go and get them checked out. Because a lot of the time people don't want to feel like a burden. Mm. I find that even like just going to the GP, you know, you don't want it. You just like, oh, this might just be a cold. I don't know if I want to go. But then things happen. You know, kids can get sepsis and all sorts. So it's better to be a demanding, mouthy you know, stay there until they take you seriously. Um, I feel like what's really remarkable about the story you just shared as well is that I think quite often, um, is your mum disabled? No. No. So I think quite often non-disabled parents, um, when their child is disabled, especially if their child becomes disabled, um, uh, go through a period of denial, Mm. right? So I think it's extraordinary to hear this about your mum, like kind of refusing that denial and refusing that um, that kind of non-acceptance to try and fight for your rights. I think that's amazing. Yeah, I think even like in our culture, so like my mum's from Zimbabwe and my dad's from Ghana. And I think there was a very big difference in who accepted it and who didn't, even probably up to this day. Really? <laughs> I don't really have conversations with my dad about my disability. I don't think he gets it. Are your parents still together? No. Right. No, they haven't been for a very, a very long time. I think when I was a teenager, um, they divorced. But um, yeah, like my mum has always been accepting and I, yeah, I just don't, I don't think I've ever had a conversation about my dad. I mean, up till this day, he still tries to get me to read letters. <laughs> I'm like, dad, I can't see it. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's, it's a big thing, um, especially with the black community that a lot of the time we don't want to accept disability in any way because it's, it can be like a shame on the family. But my mum was very much removed from that. And she was like, no. It's not a shame at all. Oh, thank God for your mum. I think it's interesting. There's definitely cultural factors, but also the whole thing of men as well, because I think it's sort of associated with weakness. And, you know, I haven't produced a perfect male specimen here, you know. Um, So I think there's all these weird things like tied up with men and culture and disability and children and parenting and all of that and sad isn't it that we can more likely rely on mums to do the right thing um your parents don't have dwarfism is that no. right so can you talk a bit about your history yeah so i'm the first person in my family to have it my two children have it as well um so they inherited it off me um and um growing up my parents were i think there was I mean, dwarfism obviously existed 30-odd years ago, but there was um, less awareness beyond what you saw, like the umpa in the media and stuff like that, of um, what um, things we would need medically and what support we would need um, 
in order to live an independent life as possible and things like that um and my parents like all props to them like they really fought for everything that I could possibly need when I was a child um they were completely accepting of my disability like your mum um from the get-go they just loved me anyway um and um kind of just also felt it was really important that I loved myself like I loved my disability my disabled self mm. um in in and that sh- ref- was reflected in the way that they parented um and I'm really thankful for that because I I see that now in me um and but so do you up, have siblings yeah I've got a uh, a half brother and a half sister through my dad only right. my parents are still together he um he had um my brother and sister before me mm-hmm. from a previous marriage um and so I was born in London, just round the corner, but um, grew up in very rural Norfolk. And that was quite hard because um, it was a very um, white, able-bodied, poor area. Um, and um, there were, in my primary school, there was um, me, who has obviously got a physical disability. There was um, a child who... Um, had a neurological uh, disability. Um, there was one Chinese boy and one black girl, and everyone else was white and mm-hmm. able-bodied. And kind of growing up in that environment, we kind of it was like everyone else versus us. Mm. And even though we weren't particularly um, into the same things there was kind of a mutual understanding between us that we were a safe area for each other we were like a safe space for each other because everyone else wasn't really that safe um and that was quite hard in primary school um in secondary school I wasn't um I wasn't bullied so much but I was definitely um left out of things um especially you know conversations around sex and boys and you know boobs and periods because like even that kind of stuff even though it was obviously happening to me it was somehow awkward for the other girls to talk to me about it I don't know why um and um and so I kind of grew up a bit of a stranger in my body I felt very dissociated from it as a teenager I didn't feel um yeah there was no one like me that I was seeing in the media talking about any of this stuff. There was, nobody wanted to talk to me about it at school. And so I kind of just got on with it. But it was, it was a weird time. Yeah, I can imagine. It was a weird time. Yeah. That, and I never actually sort of considered that, the whole thing around periods and puberty. And I guess people kind of isolating you from that conversation because perhaps they sort of didn't even consider your you know, your humanity, really. Right, and exactly. And I think that's what I kind of really sensing is this is this real othering of disabled people. Um, and it, it makes me feel guilty, actually, for being a child in secondary school. I mean, I can't remember any particular incidents, but I guarantee you that I have done some, and said some really problem. In fact, there was a girl with cerebral palsy in my 
um, school and she was in a wheelchair and she had one of those things that you could, she couldn't speak, but she could articulate herself via like this computer thing that spoke for her. Um, and, you know, she was never included as like a human, as, as like just another one of us. She was just always, oh, her in the wheelchair, you know. Mm. Um, it wouldn't have even occurred to us to sort of say, hey, do you want to come out at the weekend and try and meet boys or anything? You know, it wouldn't even, as a teenager, I wouldn't have even felt that she deserved respect or anything other than to just be considered that girl in the wheelchair yeah you know and thank god for progression and growth but i think that's the reality for a lot of teenagers um and this is why we need representation because a lot of the time what we don't see we don't know mm. and yeah. so you know i'm sure we've all you know we all are i guess you know ignorant to some extent you know no one's perfect and as you said like we have to grow and learn but that that girl that you're speaking about in your school i'm sure you know she needed to see herself as well represented in the media Mm. just in general really and then also the other kids in the school would then have realized oh okay you know Mm. She's a human. She's a person. But it's mad, isn't it? It's it's absolute dehumanisation. It's this kind of sense of her needs don't matter. She's probably never going to find a husband. She probably doesn't really need friends. She's just this one disabled person. She can just be left on her own. You know, I really remember that sense of just like, she kind of doesn't matter. Like, Mm. um, this kind of absolute lack of ability to see that she has a brain and she has intelligence and she has... You know, um, and I I think it's, you know, it's absolutely the responsibility of parents. Why are we having, why are we, I mean, my mum would be horrified if she ever knew that I had thought like that about anybody in school. But why, what needed to happen to stop me from being that teenager and stop all of these teenagers who are currently being that teenager to disabled kids in their school? What are we supposed to be teaching? How can we how do we do this from a much earlier age? I mean, you've both got kids. I think it's um, education. Um, I think it's, yeah, education. And as, as you say, like I think it does start with the parents, but I feel like it does also need to um, continue in schools and things like that, and on, in the media, definitely, mm. because a lot of us learn a lot of different things from TV, uh, things like that you know online and I feel like more representation just really needs to happen um, and it's I feel like you know like how we've kind of seen a shift in people now speaking about mental health mm. I feel like we need to also see that shift now in terms of talking about disability yeah um, what do you think Kathy? I've seen you writing some really interesting stuff actually about um about stuff around parents and kids so you might you know be in the supermarket and a child would be like mummy why is that woman so small or whatever right and then the reactions to parents are often starkly different but Mm. some are better than others right um i'd say that nine times out of ten and i'm not being pessimistic the parent will shush their child Mm -hmm. and it is that behavior which makes their child turn into a teenager that dehumanizes that disabled girl in the classroom right and because they they learn very early that it's shameful to, to acknowledge that. us. Yeah. Yeah. That you're not allowed to say anything. You're not allowed to say anything. And But also that, like, the disability 
consumes us so completely that you couldn't possibly talk to me about anything else. Yeah. Right? Because um, because it's all about that. Um, so, yeah, I've written about that before because especially having my own children who obviously have, as I said, have the same disability as myself. Um, it's just, it's interesting navigating this and seeing it through their eyes as well. And also they're not exempt when they see somebody who is disabled but has a different disability to us. They're curious. They want to know what's going on. And so I have to equip them with the right tools to manage that situation respectfully and also to walk away from that situation having had their curiosity satisfied and feeling the humanity of that person, as you were saying. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's something that I've definitely thought about a lot more since um, since becoming a mother. Um, and I think, yeah, we just, we need to normalise being so part what, of the what, conversation. what should we do? You know, if you're with your child in a supermarket and the child says, why has that woman got a stick? Or why is that woman small? What what is the best way to to deal with our children making those statements? Um, literally bend down to their level first of all if they're young, which I assume they probably would be if they said that kind of thing. Mm. Look them in the eye so that they know that nothing about this is shameful, and say to them, um, "That woman has um, something called dwarfism, or that woman is short because she was born that way." Um, just like how your granddad is in a wheelchair or your auntie is xyz you know kind of normalize it by comparing it to examples that they already have in their lives um and saying how we you know we're just not all the same and that's okay um and i don't mind but some disabled people would um so i'm i'm cautious not to say this as advice for everybody but like you know say to your child wave at her like say hello don't be afraid to to do that. I personally, if I'm in a supermarket and a kid smiles and waves at me, I love that because they're acknowledging me and they're accepting me in that single action and they're not coming to ask me anything. They're respecting my space, but they're just saying hi. And I really like that. Mm. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like when I, um, I used to have a guide dog when I was about 19 no, yeah, 18, 19-ish. Um, and people's children would come up and just stroke my dog all the time. And obviously, they're not supposed to touch the guide dog, but mm. they would. <laughs> and, and again, when they would ask, why does that lady have a dog? The parents would just shush them, you know. Mm. And um, I remember my friend, she also had a guide dog, and uh, she had a little girl, and uh, another child wanted to stroke the dog again, and um, I was like, you sh she was like, you should ask my mummy, you know, before you touch the dog, and then the little child did, she asked, and then I feel like, yeah, as Kathy was saying, it's, it's all about conversation, you know, speak to your child, and explain to your child that everyone's different it's funny because it's hard with children isn't it because they're innocent and I think as people with disabilities we understand that children are innocent they're not trying to be rude but the parents reaction needs to also give that same vibe off you know it's like my little girl she's four and we was watching I, I don't know Britain's Got Talent or something one of these shows it was a while ago and there was a, a gay guy and he was dancing I think it was a dance show and um, he was wearing like pink boots and things like that and she was like mommy why is he dancing like a girl and I was like because 
do you know how some boys dance like girls? Some girls dance like boys. Mm-hmm. I was like, everyone can dance how they want to dance. She's like, oh, okay. <laughs> and that's it. And I yeah. keep, and I reinforce to her, like every time we see something that she thinks is a little bit different, I, um, I say to her, you know, people can do what they want. People can act, you know, how they want. And people are different. And I keep trying to relay that to her, you know. Mm. Um, and I think, yeah, it's the same with uh, disabilities. She's grown up with a blind godmother. I've got lots of blind friends. So she's very much used to people with um, canes. She's used to guiding people. She'd be like, come this way, this way, you know. And she's um, she's very good like that. But still, there'll be... She's. I've also got a friend in a wheelchair and when we went to see her she was like mommy why is she in a wheelchair and I was like because of x y and z and then she and I was like ask her as well you know you're allowed to speak mm. and she did and by the end of it she was trying to push her around in the wheelchair so <laughs> I don't know if that was a good idea but you know and now it was like second nature to her she yeah. doesn't care because children don't you know yeah yeah, it's normalising diversity, isn't it, from, like, day one, so that by the time they're 10, 11, they're like, yeah, people are trans, yeah, people are disabled, yeah, people are gay, well, right. right. But also, I think, going back to um, what we were saying originally about it all being about education, obviously that is really important, but another massive step is the parent kind of overcoming all their fears and broadening the friendship circle of their children conscientiously from an early age Mm. like I already my daughter's only in year one but already I can see the parents that have never and will never invite her to birthday parties wow right and so and that happened to me all through school like I was expecting it it's fine well it's not fine but (laughs) it's not fine and it's not fine it's actually shocking it's yeah it's yeah it is because what are those kids going to come away from that with? But like, also, why? Like, why? I mean, you're, you're, you're uh, apart from the physical stature, your daughters are the same as everybody else in their class in terms of interactions with friends. Oh, you know, there's going to be variations. All kids are different and some interact better with other kids than others. But it seems so wild to me that a parent would make that distinction between those are the other kids we can't you can't play with them i mean i just it's just it's mind-blowing it's it's going back to the girl with cerebral palsy in your class like that that attitude still exists yeah it's true they would he wouldn't have even considered being friends with her right yeah fuck people are scared of difference aren't they they're just people they're scared of different and some people some people are scared and some people don't want to know like yeah. if we get to the worst end of the spectrum some people just don't want it mm. and so yeah yeah it's just making like bringing those children into your children's lives mm. speaks so much more than them seeing us on tv i mean that is great too but mm. yeah if there's a disabled girl or boy um in your kid's class inviting them around for tea yeah. is a much bigger step in terms of um, making your child more aware and more conscientious and more likely to be open and inclusive. Yeah. Apart from Stevie Wonder, are there any celebrities, disabled celebrities, who are representing? Um. Well, hopefully they'll be me next. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I can't well, think there was of Ray any. Charles. Ray Charles <laughs> there was and Stevie Ray Charles. Wonder. 
So basically, you have to be a black blind man to be successful, like a disabled celebrity. No, there are lots of disabled celebrities. There are loads of disabled celebrities. People who are really out there representing. I mean, for my own condition, there's obviously Sinead Burke. Um, She's um, a lady with dwarfism. Fat Simbo is coming through as well. Have you seen Fat Timbo? Yeah, Fat Timbo. Yeah, Yeah, she's she's awesome. She's a friend of mine. She's fantastic. and and there's a lady in Australia called Charlie who's like got 300k followers on Instagram so she's obviously a big deal over there as well mm. there are definitely people who are I'm trying to think about like around. mainstream people who are children with C and oh, right, like yeah. oh like you know I mean of course there's successful disabled people around yes. but what I mean is in yes. terms of representation so there's a girl in um, The Worst Witch on CBBS who has dwarfism which is awesome Um, because it's a really um, subtle kind of inclusion, Mm. um, because it's about teenagers at a secondary school, a witchy secondary school. Um, And her disability is, like, totally accepted and normal, and that's awesome. Yeah. Um, I also find that, in general, CBBC and CBBs, I'm not being paid by them, but, like, they are pretty good at like having presenters that have disabilities and things like that and do you remember that with that there was a presenter on cbb's and she had uh she was an amputee mm-hmm. she had one arm i think and there was like a ton of complaints yeah. parents wrote yeah. in to say that it was too scary for their children yeah. to see a, a woman with one arm like and I, ca- I can't get to the psyche of these adults who who would eat I mean, what the fuck is going on in your head? <laughs> they don't want it. They don't want to see us. Yeah. They don't want yeah. it. That's so fucked, isn't it? Um, all right, let's... So we've kind of gone around the houses a bit. I haven't <laughs> even got to the questions yet. I want to understand your experiences of dating um, and whether they have kind of changed. Obviously, how old are you, Kathy? You're 34. About, yeah, So, and you're in your 20s. 26. 26. So I guess you probably, Joy, haven't experienced life before dating apps or the dating world before dating apps, I'm assuming, just given your age. Yeah, no, dating apps have been, yeah, they, yeah they've been a big factor. Is- I was a bit of a late bloomer. <laughs> I think I, um, I started dating probably when I was about, 19 I mean I say dating <laughs> but yeah when I was about 19 <laughs> I think we know what you mean yeah <laughs> um and you would have been dating before dating apps were a thing mm, not really I was a late bloomer as well right. I think you, this is probably quite common in people with disabilities as well right. but um yeah I didn't start dating till I was 24 right so oh, but dating apps a thing 10 years ago um, I didn't use a dating app at that point, but I did shortly after, but it wasn't a dating app. It was a pen pal app. Right. <laughs> it was a pen pal website, but I mean, it was obvious why people were there. So do you, is that, so that's something very common with disabled people. Is it that they tend to shy away from dating for longer than their peers? No, not necessarily. I would just say that it's a bit of a complex one, but I would say that so quite often your disability might limit you from um, being able to meet people in like I don't know a club or things or the kind of environment where we would normally meet people mm. pre apps or off apps. Um, and also I think for me and I don't know if it's the same for you, Joy, but um, 
the um, it feels really good to be able to put myself up out there and not know who's rejecting me because they see me automatically and then they swipe if they like me right but Mm -hmm. they swipe they swipe left if they don't and that's fine but I don't get to see who swipes left so I can never be hurt by it yeah I just know that whoever I match with is all right with it Mm -hmm. um and it kind of takes away that initial discomfort of oh can he get over the fact that I'm disabled and things like that yeah yeah I think for me it was it's um it was difficult because I can't see people so I can't meet a man walking down the street I always say I'm missing out on so much dick because of this like I can't give a wink do you know what I mean I can't get a wink I I don't know what to do I don't think I've ever given a wink (laughs) I don't think you should I think that's don't think you're missing out on not winking yeah so in terms of your dating apps uh, app experiences have they been broadly I mean to, to be honest with you I don't think most people's dating apps experiences have been particularly great but do you feel like um disability is a big factor has there been i'm asking that wrong how's do do you get a lot of shit from men on dating apps you both date men right yeah and unfortunately yeah it's a fucking curse in it i'm questioning it now are you you're so lucky i wish i could question i've questioned i've tried and tried and it's just not happening um so unfortunately you have to date men because you're heterosexual um what kind of general reaction do you get from men who you connect with on dating apps are they do they ask immediately about your disability or do they actually treat you as a human from the get-go for me most of the men i speak to they're educated to the point where they know that they shouldn't ask about it immediately but it quite often becomes a bit of an elephant in the room that they're scared to talk about Mm -hmm. um or they're scared to bring up um and like whenever a guy like i don't know invites me somewhere and says um like is this okay for you and I know exactly what he means when he says is this okay like can you access here is this gonna be an enjoyable experience for you as a disabled woman right I like totally respect that because they've gone out of their comfort zone to ask me that question because I get that it's scary and you don't want to offend and stuff like that I totally get that um and I've been in that situation before as well I used to um I used to work in um, for a, a publication that was about disability. And so as part of that, I interviewed disabled people like as a regular day job. And I would always stumble over, you know, what's the right thing to say? Or, you know, do I ask this? Or, you know, and things like that. And so I totally, totally get it. And I really just respect when, yeah, when guys ask. Um, but quite often they'll ignore it and it'll be a bit awkward. Mm. But yeah. Yeah, I try to not let them ignore it. So I put in my profile most of the time that um, I have a visual impairment and I have a pimp stick. And if you annoy me on a date, <laughs> I will use it. Oh, I love it. Because um, <laughs> because when I take photos, a lot of the time I don't have my cane in the photo. Mm-hmm. So guys just swiping might not tell that I um, can't see and also they think when you've got glasses oh that's fine then you can see now Mm, (laughs) they don't get the extent of it I've had a bit of a mixed bag so most I would say 
eight times out of ten, when I... Because guys also they don't want to read the profile as well. They just look at the pictures. Mm, yeah. They're like, big tits, okay. <laughs> yeah. And um, then I always like try to add it into the conversation um, and not kind of make it a big deal, like, did you read my profile? But I'm just like, oh, yeah, I can't see or blah, blah, blah. Like, I'll send a voice note, but like, oh, I prefer voice noting. It's just easier, blah, 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 because I can't see. And I would say most guys say oh that's fine like they don't have a problem but what I also find though is that speaking to someone who has got a disability or in my case like a visual impairment they say is fine but when you meet us and go out on a date and you see people staring and jumping out of the way like parting the red sea like on Moses <laughs> uh it's very different Mm. And um, I always say, like, I need a man that's quite a boss that can actually deal with that because it's one thing to say you're okay with it, but to live with the reality of it is is different. Mm. That's interesting, isn't it? So you found men who are, I think you have to just be, like you say, a boss man who's just like... I don't give a fuck that all these people are yeah. looking at my woman. Like. Yeah, because people do. Like, people, a lot, they do care that, you know, people are... And, and people are staring and not in a good way. Not in a way like, oh, she's so sexy, which <laughs> I am. But they're, they're staring like, oh, she okay. And also, it's, it's it's that thing as well. It's like, people, when they see you, they assume that... Like, they're just like, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> are you okay? Yeah. Like, I'm, <laughs> It's just, it's it's hard. And so you need a man that can look past that and still yeah. see you and still find you attractive, even though the world sometimes pities you. Yeah, right, exactly. And yeah, and also a man that is comfortable with reacting to that situation, however you feel comfortable. I want mm. a man that's going to be the like, <laughs> But I've been with guys that have been like that. And then I've been with guys that have like reacted in different ways and I'm like oh actually no don't do that mm. um I remember once a really long time ago um one of my exes um makes me sound like I've had loads I haven't <laughs> <laughs> one of my exes um like uh, a guy was uh, making fun of um my disability and I I was out of earshot I could just I could just see him so I could I could understand what it was about but I didn't know what he said and um and my ex kind of went up to him and just like said, oh, I'm to fucking deck you out. <laughs> you know, and like got his arms out and stuff. And for me personally, that's not the reaction I would have yeah. wanted him to have because ultimately, for me, that doesn't bring me any satisfaction. Mm. And it doesn't solve anything at the end of the day. The guy's still going to say that kind of stuff in the presence yeah. of um, disability. Um, so, yeah, it's good to it's good to have someone that like listens to how you want things to be handled and it's just like yeah totally respectful of that but would you want somebody if i was sat with you mm. in a pub or whatever and the people at the next table were being absolute cunts i mean obviously you can stand up for yourself but as right. your friend that would upset me to the extent that it would make me want to go over and call them out probably not punch them but i, th I feel like my method would be more like hey just heard what you're saying should we talk loudly about this because I, I feel like I would want to expose that and but I think lead the, to a conversation that would might make them see how the much key part of what are. you've just said is as a friend that would upset me but your reaction is irrelevant because you're yeah. not a disabled person right yeah and I think people get overcome by their own reaction to that situation rather than my reaction which is actually the center should be the center focus of however we respond to that yeah so i think 
like sometimes I'll be in the mood where I'd be like, yeah, let it go. Yeah. You know, <laughs> go tell him. I, I don't have the strength today. You do it. Yeah. Um, and I'd be like, yeah, totally cool. But sometimes I'll just be like, mate, I just want to ignore it today. Mm. Can we just, can we just not? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I don't mm. know. I think it's just, yeah. Ask me, like, Kathy, how do you want that handled? And yeah. Like, okay. Well, one of the questions actually was, um, what should we not say to this? So I know we've moved away from dating a little bit, but kind of like I'm sort of jumbling around the conversation <laughs> a bit. I should have asked these questions before when we were kind of talking more about living with a disability. So we'll come back to the dating thing in a bit. But um, so there's three kind of questions that I sort of feel relate a little bit to what we were just talking about. And w- one of them was, um, how do you have conversations with disabled people about their disability without being a cunt? Have we covered that really kind of in the child question? We sort of have or haven't. I actually feel that that question is a bit cuntish, to be honest with you, because, again, it's that othering, isn't it? Why would you need to know how to have conversations with disabled people, have them the same as you have with every people? Treat us with the same humanity you yeah. would any anyone else, right? And be sensitive to the fact that you might fuck up in something that you say and yeah. be willing and open to make amends if that's the case. Yeah, and just be honest and say, do you know what? Um, I want to speak to you about X, Y, and Z, or just as I say, like it, dep- it depends. Like, what are you asking? What are you asking me? What What do you I, want I to know? I feel like this like, is almost <laughs> even just a general thing. Like, how do you have? Oh, well, about their disability without being a kind. I guess people do want to know, in it. You know, like I think you don't just kind of, you know, like when I first started following you, for example, um, Kathy. You know, there are kind of questions that you might have, like, oh, have your parents got dwarfism yeah. or has your husband got dwarfism because both your kids, are, you know. And I wonder if sometimes, certainly for me, I would be worried about making you feel like um, like I was seeing only your disability when I see you. And that's why I'm asking all these questions about it um, and that maybe it's not my business or... Um, so I guess I think what I sometimes try and do is almost avoid any, not any conversation about disability, but, but not make that the central thing. But whilst ha- sometimes holding these questions in my head, of, I wonder how you lost your legs or I wonder why this person's in a wheelchair. And sometimes I guess you just don't know whether it's appropriate to say. I think it also depends on the situation. Like if you um, know the person that you're speaking to, then I'm sure they would understand, you know, who you are and why you're asking like I wouldn't go and just ask a random person on the street street, like tell me about your disability but if if there's context do you know what I mean like and you want to know then do you know what I mean I feel like we're not we're not that sensitive I feel like it depends on your intention as well and as I said just be honest you know just be honest and be willing to um you know get your response and I think yeah the person with the disability will react accordingly what if would you find things offensive like say for example uh my son did this to me yesterday actually I asked him to I was like it's there it's there and he's like I'm not blind um you know would you would you find comments like that offensive Mm, um I don't know I think sometimes yeah maybe when I'm coming on my period I will. <laughs> um but do you know what I find that a lot of people say especially like oh I'm not deaf people say yeah. that a lot and I always now I do think to myself like that must not be nice for people who are deaf do you know what I mean like I don't know but then the fucked up thing is that I just wanted to make a joke of going yeah but they wouldn't hear it 
you see what I mean? Like there's joke, you know, d- disability has actually been the butt of jokes for for a long time, and it's yeah. quite it kind of comes into our even in our language and mm. things and things like that. And it's hard, and I think it also comes back down to sorry. I think it also comes back down to individuals because there are I know plenty of blind people that would not find that um, offensive or anything like that. They wouldn't care. Um, I mean, I say to like my mum and stuff, I'm like, I'm supposed to be the blind one here. Do you know mm. what I mean? What are you doing? But I don't know. It's, again, I think it's individuals because different people find different things offensive. Yeah. So it depends. If we were friends and, you know, I was around your son and he said something like that, I probably wouldn't get offended, you know? Because um, as I say, I, think, I feel like kids are more, you know, they're innocent. Mm. But yeah, as I said, I think there might be some blind people that would. So it's something that you should kind of pull up on, that kind of language. Yeah, I would say try to avoid it. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, it can be hard. I remember I really fucked up once when I was, I had a client who um, didn't have any legs. He was in a wheelchair. He was a double amputee. Mm -hmm. And um, he was also an alcoholic. Um, And that's the context with which I was working with him in. Um, And he kept having these benders. And when he'd have a bender, you know, things just, just, just awful uh and i made the comment to him i was just like you've gone out and got legless again and you know and then i'm like fuck like and he wasn't offended by it but i was a social work student at the time and my supervisor really pulled me up on it like you've just said to a man with no legs that he's going out to get legless and that that's a bad thing and you know you really have to recognize just how even this offensive stuff is kind of just wrapped up in everyday language Mm. that you don't even consider um, and that's one of the questions, what should we not say to disabled people? I think the thing is, I think, like, Joy's obviously completely right. Like, we all have things that we're offended by and that we're not offended by. And that even changes as to how we feel on the day. Like, um, so we can't really say, oh, you know, saying X, Y, Z about me is always offensive to mm. all people with dwarfism because it's just not true. Um I mean, yeah, I was recently talking about, yeah, the terminology around my condition and I had quite a lot of people come in and say on Instagram and I had quite a lot of people come in and say to me, but but I've got um, a sister's cousin friend once removed who <laughs> actually like really is okay with that term, so you're wrong. Mm. And I'd be like, I'm not wrong, but this is my feeling. This is how um, it makes me feel and that's not okay. And I think like children are innocent and I wouldn't be offended if your son had said something um similar about dwarfism it made a similar reference but I think it is a teaching point in the sense that just because I'm not offended it doesn't mean other people won't be yeah Um, yeah and so and it's just saying to him oh that's not okay to say because xyz and some people might be offended by that because even if one person is offended Mm. you've done your job right yeah and um and just being mindful of it and like the guy that you said was legless he might have not have been offended but other people might be yeah, so exactly. Mm. exactly because some people say they they may have just lost their legs and they might not be as of accepting of it as yeah. well at that time so they might be sensitive to everything that anybody says and even though your intention was not to offend um you know as we were saying like sometimes different people are offended by different things we want to feel like we're in a safe space with whoever we're talking to right and that that person is not gonna say things that harm us yeah 
And um, ultimately, sadly, in society the way it is now, even with the people who are closest to us, that does still sometimes happen. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the the and it's just a continual effort. Like you mess up, you apologize, you go on. Like it's just a continual effort, really. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing, isn't it? It's just not to you know really try not to offend, but actually kind of don't alter the way that you interact with disabled people because of this fear of offending. Because right. if you do, they'll probably tell you and then you've learned and then you won't do that again and that's it. You can move on, just like with anything, you know? Right. Um, so we'll kind of go back to, to, to dating a little bit. Um, is fetishization... Fet- I can never say this fucking <laughs> it's word. It's such a hard word. <laughs> is fetishization... No, fetishization. <laughs> Can one of you say it? Fetishization. Oh, you did really well. Is fetishization a fear of yours? <laughs> Is there anything that a person could do to allay those fears when starting a relationship with a person with a disability? They're both looking at each other, deciding <laughs> who's going to tackle this one first. Um, I wrote, do you know what? Her Instagram has opened my eyes in the sense that the amount of education I've had on my own disability and how people interact with me like I've I've read things about ableism I didn't even know what ableism was two years ago and imagine I was 32 years old and I had no idea what ableism was I just knew that's how people reacted Mm. and so like the, the amount that I've read and the amount of literature I've read which I've found through Instagram and stuff like that um has been incredible in just like feeling seen and feeling like oh my god this is why this person does this and um i'm saying this because a while ago not that long ago and i'm pretty sure it was earlier this year i wrote a post um which um which was like my kind of awakening on fetishization i hadn't realized that that was a thing with me i just hadn't realized it and then when I read about it I was like oh Mm. that's why that guy wanted me to do this or that's why that guy didn't call me back after we did Mm. the deed or you know that kind of thing and I was like oh my god that's what it is and here like hearing it said and seeing it written down it brought me a lot of peace because um it made me realize it's not just me Mm. and this is actually a thing um with disabled people particularly with certain conditions as well um and yeah i've forgotten your question which was um (laughs) is it a fear is is fetishization fetishization i can't say the word at all i'm so sorry is that thing a fear of yours um and is there anything that a person could do to allay those fears when starting a relationship with a person with with a disability this was actually from a man who um who wants to date disabled women but doesn't want them to feel like he's doing, you know, doesn't want to specifically <laughs> date disabled yeah, women. Yeah. He wants to date all women and some of them might be disabled yeah, okay. and he wants to make sure that if he is interacting with a disabled woman, he's not coming across like the rest of the creepy cunts who might fetish, fetishize. I feel fetishize. like, I do feel like there is a little bit of fetishization in every single bloke that wants to be with me in a romantic way. I think there's a little bit there and it goes. Um, 
but I think there's a little bit of you curiosity. Mean it starts off like that and then they fall in love with you because they get to know you. Yeah, I mean, obviously, people fall in love with me every week, but yeah. um, <laughs> it's the same. It's such a problem. <laughs> um, yeah, I just feel like there's a bit of curiosity there, mm. right? And so, and sometimes, sometimes it's quite big, um, and sometimes it's not that big. And I think, oh, sorry, I got off the. Talking about penises there for a second. <laughs> I think to assume that the guy isn't curious in that way. Yeah. And to only go for guys that, like, say things that make you really feel like that, I just would never, I would never meet men. And yeah. so it's just kind of, it's the spectrum of it, isn't it? And just, like, how they treat you and if they treat you with respect and things like that and not rushing into any physical contact that you don't, feel completely safe in mm. in terms of that yeah um i've never had someone fetishize me i don't think actually more because i'm fat rather than because mm. of my disability i think because i am not totally blind maybe i'm not that exciting i don't know but, <laughs> um yeah I, I haven't really not really had anyone say anything particularly weird or creepy yeah more to do with weight i would say god that's something else i've said before as well and now i'm wondering if that's offensive like there was this guy that i used to date and when he took off his glasses he was virtually blind like he really couldn't see anything and actually i really enjoyed dating him because i didn't have any body consciousness (laughs) um and i've said that before like i would be quite you know let me find a blind guy because then I can just be like, yeah, take me as I am. Um, and now I'm thinking, now I'm looking back on that and thinking, hmm, was I fetishizing blind men? I don't or think, I don't not think fetishizing, but is that offensive now? I don't think you're fetishizing, but aren't you kind of assuming that um, sight is the be all and end all as to finding someone attractive? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Mm, yeah. Like, and, yeah. And that's the thing. It's weird because sometimes I forget that everyone else can see. and Because I sometimes think that everyone can see what I can see, which is mm. not much, right? <laughs> so I'm like, no, I'm not wearing makeup. I don't have time for that. I don't care. No, I can't see. Do you know what I mean? Like, concealer, I don't know what that is for. I don't <laughs> I don't understand. But anyway, so like I, I sometimes like have to remember that everyone else can see me perfectly and mm. I can't see them perfectly. So it's, um, it's, it's a bit weird. And I feel like for me, sometimes with men, I pretend I can see more than I can because I'm like, don't try and take advantage over mm. it. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes things can, um, can happen, but going back to what Kathy was just saying, uh, sight being only thing that, um, people yeah. think you, how you can find someone attractive. And I get that question a lot. Um, it's like, if you can't see properly, how do you find someone attractive? Right. And, I'm like, there's so many things. Like, to me, voice is very important. Like, if a guy has a nice, deep, sexy voice, like, I love that. Mm. Um, And also... I mean, people think like it's a bit of a... I say it's a myth because it, it, I don't believe it, but they say that, you know, when you can't see properly, your other senses are heightened, so, like, your smell and stuff like that. I ain't going around sniffing people. I'm not a fox. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Like, smell, like, honestly, like, say you go to someone's house and it smells, like, I'm, I'm not going to lie, like, I do, like... I like to smell people. Not that I don't know. I don't smell people. But what I'm saying is, like a man that smells nice, yeah. that's also attractive to me. Like it's yeah. not just about literally. Like if they got a spot on their face, like oh, mm. I'm not seeing their spots. But yeah, and you can feel a beard, and you can feel a penis. Mm. So right. I just, and also, you can feel spots. 
Yeah, true. Yeah. You can feel spots. You can feel fat. You can feel all of it, yeah. right? So, hundred percent. So people think like it's just about literally the way you look, but it's like no, like there's lots of different factors yeah. that make someone attractive to you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, in terms of dating, um, one of the questions is that ableism is so rife. Can we discuss people feeling sorry for disabled people and how they think we are sexless? And is that something as well that sexuality is something that you feel that disabled people are denied yeah. the kind of right to? hundred percent like that you know that started back in school for me like I said like it's like denied that I even have periods because all these things are to do with becoming a woman and being seen as sexy or whatever which in its own right is problematic however because I wasn't even part of that you know Mm. it was like no you just stay as this other thing you're not part of that conversation because you could never be attractive Mm. in that in the same way as the rest of us can Mm. and all those things like boobs and curves and periods and body hair and stuff are about being attractive Mm. in the future and yeah so I don't know it might be um forgot the question it's about being sexless I mean you're very sexy I mean you're both very sexy but joy (laughs) is very openly (laughs) openly sexy overtly not overtly but um you know you talk about say I, I how i first found out about you is off vice they did a, a piece on you and you were just so open about the kind of sex side of things and 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 being like a really you know you like hookups if you can get them you know rather than uh necessarily like forcing relationships all the time you're very up for like a bit. Well, like, am, I, am I, I right on that? Or? Well, I mean, I do want a husband. So yeah. <laughs> if you're if you're out there, but no, I do. Yeah, like I've lived, I've had my best whole life as well. Maybe yeah. I'm still yeah. living it. Who knows? Yeah. But um, yeah, no, definitely. And I think, I think for me, feeling sexy was something that came like very later on because a lot of the time when I was obviously when I was younger, people would more pity me, and that, but that that transferred into adult life Mm. people see a blind person and they feel sorry for us they want to help us they don't want to bang us do you know what i mean they don't Mm. they like it's and that's difficult and that's why it's hard to find um a man that can see partial disability and that's that's one of my biggest struggles um i think as i bloomed (laughs) um, (laughs) and you certainly bloomed (laughs) i because because I've got a bigger body and I've got big boobs, yeah. I feel like now I get men that obviously like big women, um, and then the eyesight thing is more like a second nature mm. thing. But yes, it's 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 very difficult to find people that see you as sexy and also you know you having your disability. Mm. But you know once you find the penis, there's so many things you can do with it. Like I don't understand yeah. why people don't get that. <laughs> I wish I could find a penis. I feel like it's weird, like, how I was just talking about how when I was at school, I was completely desexualized, even though I was becoming a woman. Um, And you you mentioned the child thing. I'm just just thinking about that. And I'm thinking about how now it's kind of the tables are turned a bit because guys fetishize me because I'm like a child, right? Oh. And that's, like, really fucked up and wrong. Yeah. But that's how they treat all women to an extent because yeah, yeah. they like women without body hair, you know, they like women to look young, things like that. So 
ultimately, like, me being small plays into that. Oh. And, uh, yeah. That had never crossed my mind before, and now it has. I'm now like, it has, yeah. I know, I'm like, oh. Duh, duh. <laughs> Can we just deport all men to Uh-oh. some kind of island somewhere? Um, one of the questions says, how do you date as a single mum? Men always ask to come over when my child is asleep and I get called boring if I say no. I don't get a lot of free time, so it's really hard to navigate. Dating as a single mum is just, I mean, I've done a whole podcast on it because it's so fucking... Mm. Firstly, men coming over, that's not a date. Mm-hmm. No, can we just not. can we just establish that exactly <laughs> very good point and second of all keep being boring babes keep being boring because <laughs> what do you mean i had a man actually tell me once that like, he wanted to again same thing come over um i was like no i've got a child no you're not coming over and then he was like oh like you're so immature sorry he was <laughs> like like I, when i date older women they invite me over and cook for me <laughs> wow I said, well, you better go and find <laughs> older woman because yeah. i'm not cooking for you I say such wow. manipulation. I wrote a post about it recently, which is such a common thing for not just single mums, but anybody, women. Um, men want to skip this whole dating thing. 100%. And go straight to the house, which I think has definitely increased um, since lockdown. Mm-hmm. When, like, you know, um, when everything was really locked down, there were a lot of men on dating apps trying to just go straight around just to people's go. houses. Yeah. Not even suggesting a nice walk and, in the park. And it's or, like they had an excuse now because the restaurants were shut yeah. and all that shit. So, yeah, but it was summer. You could have mm, gone to the, to the park. Yeah. yeah. Can I just say, I need people to understand, like, you need to believe in the killer. And I'm not trying to scare anybody, but it's very easy for a man to be nice at first and everything like that. Mm. And even a woman, to be fair. Um, And be like, oh, well, you know, let's just meet up at your house and you cook or whatever. I'll bring a takeaway. No. Like, no, don't do it. And I'm I'm speaking from experience. I haven't met the killer, clearly. But um, I'm very conscious of that. And also just be... Because remember, once people know where you live, you can't take it back. Can I just say that? So if things go shit, and I know, I mean, maybe I'm just... I'm very sceptical, okay? Maybe that's why I haven't got a man. But yeah, like, it's... I'm I'm very sceptical. Like, I don't like people to know where I live. I don't like people to... I, I don't let a man come to my house <clears throat> anymore. But, yeah, when I was younger, <laughs> we all make mistakes. But, yeah, just remember that. And, um, yeah, dating when you are a single mum is very difficult. Um, I would say just try and plan things. And also, I like to talk to people for a long time um, before I meet them. Not too long, like a couple of weeks, you know. I'm not a, like, let's meet straight away kind of person. Maybe I'm. that's, like, the bit of my shyness that comes out there. But I would say... If you can get a, a babysitter or a friend or a family member to have your child, even if you have to plan it, so let them know a date, like, oh, on this date, yeah. could you have my child for X amount of hours? And then you plan to go on a date with this person. I think try and do it like that. It is difficult. And obviously, eventually, if things go well, you and that person, you know, down the line, obviously, they'll have to be integrated into your life with your child. But I think at first, you're you're dating, you know, yes, you're a single mom, but you want to date. Your child doesn't need to be involved yeah i think um it weeds out it's a it's a good tool for weeding out the guys that just want to bang right Mm. because Mm. if he's actually interested he'll wait a couple of weeks it won't be a massive deal and he'll understand and he'll understand (laughs) and he'll just be like okay it's annoying but never mind you know i'll wait it's fine um whereas like guys that just immediately like clock off it's like Mm -hmm. well it's obvious what your intentions were right absolutely um yeah, I think it's so difficult when you are a single parent if you haven't got a great support network. If you, yeah. you know, it's such a privilege to 
have a dad that will take the children or to have family who will be able to look after them. But it's such a dilemma if you are someone who, you know, babysitting options are few and far between. Mm. But perhaps your child is not school age yet and you still want to date and you have the right to date and you should. It's important, I think, to <clears throat> be a woman separate to being a mum. Mm. But then it is such a dilemma because it does kind of feel a bit like, or it must feel to these, to, you know, to, to women who have very limited support options. Like, if I don't allow this guy to come over, I'm just not going to have any opportunity to to hang out with men. Right. And I want to. But like you say, there's so many safety implications mm. for anyone. Like, regardless of whether you have children or not, don't be inviting random men to your house. Mm. I also think especially it depends on the disability but disability also plays into the safety thing mm. like for me if a guy comes over and tries to exert his authority over me it's obviously going to be more successful than it would be on a woman who is able-bodied mm. now i mean obviously he'd be the winner either way but yeah he could see me um on the app as a very easy target mm-hmm. for that kind of thing and the same with you i'm assuming you know yeah and so that just being aware of that as well as disabled people Mm. I mean it's even like safety in regards to when you go on a date like for me like I would have to like go somewhere you know they say like oh meet in a public place blah blah Mm -hmm. blah but that's not always easy as well when you can't see because it's like whereas say you're sitting there on a date you don't like the guy he's a dick and you want to get up and leave how can I I'll be (laughs) knocking into tables so it's like you have to build up that trust with the person first that's why I like to speak to them for a while Mm. I'm not like a quick let's go on a date tomorrow um And I think that's really important because even just trying to, you know, leave the restaurant, find the exit, find a cab, like it's, it's all kind of, you know, it's, it's difficult. And so if you're with someone that turns out to be a twat, then, you know, it's, it's hard. Yeah. I've never considered that at all. Um, Yeah. I mean, I think you just, for all women and then of course disabled women, I think this so... I mean, all people, I guess. But I think for women, there is just that added edge of the fact that we have to date men. And male violence towards women is unfortunately a thing. Um, And so you really have to consider that. So I think the tips really for this question are, like you say, speak for a long time. Get to know that person. If they're not interested in speaking for a long time, as you said, they're probably not in it for the long haul anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, And... I mean, there are babysitting apps and stuff. I haven't used any of them. I think there's one called Bubble that I've seen people. Um, so if you can get babysitters or if you can take an hour out to go for a lunch or whatever while the kids are at school, then do that. But I would avoid bringing random people into your house, especially when your children are there at all costs. Um, I've spoken about this in a previous podcast about a case that I worked on where the mum brought a child, uh, mum brought a random man back to the house and she got blind drunk and fell asleep and the man raped the daughter uh, on his way out of the house yeah um oh it's just the most horrible case but i mean that was all the child is safe and well now but um but yeah we have to think about these things so how do you do you do either of you get anxiety when dating 
I do. I get really mm, yeah. bad anxiety. Yeah. Like, because as I said, like about just going on a date, like I find that really difficult. Like, I, I just, I get so nervous. And then, because you know, there's like first date jitters anyway. Mm. But then add on to the fact you're like, oh my God, am I going to know where the restaurant is? Am I going to be able to, like, is it going to be light in there? Am I going to be able to even see my food? Because that's a factor as well. Like, if it's too dark in a restaurant, I can't see like my food very well. Like, I like, I need like really bright lights. Mm. Um, and not a lot of restaurants have bright lights because it's not, you know, the atmosphere. But, um, yeah, loads of things like that. Um, are they going to, you know, are they going to be able to guide me? Are they going to be all right with it? You know, things like that, which is why I, I just avoid it. Of mm. course. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really, um, yeah, I get really bad anxiety about it. Yeah, I definitely do. And I, I think I get less disabled anxiety, more kind of just first date anxiety yeah. but but I do get anxiety for that first moment because for me with my disability it's always the first reaction because it's so apparent um and so even though they've seen my photo nine times out of ten they'll be like <laughs> when they see me in person and so I have to mentally kind of steal myself for that and be prepared to brush it off and just act like you know it's all cool and stuff mm. um but yeah I just don't like that that first few couple of seconds is always a bit like oh mm. and then it's like oh if we're going to a bar are the bar stools going to be really high up can mm. I reach them to sit on them am I going to have to stand for a long time are we going to be walking together because I walk really slowly like so I just worry about the initial few minutes and then I'm like okay it's fine then you can relax and again that's my enableism coming out as well because it's more about like what can I cope with rather than hold on it should be about what their reaction is and whether or not their reaction is acceptable to me mm. right mm-hmm. so how do we calm anxiety when dating do you recommend having a drink before you go on a date do, do, do you think Dutch mm. courage works I think it depends if the firstly if the guys because I never just have one so if I'm <laughs> gonna have one before I go I'm gonna have another one as soon as I get there <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so he needs to be on board with that and yeah. he needs to be drinking as well yeah mm. that's shit isn't it if you've had a drink and then you're like are you drinking tonight no, no. I'm teetotaling you think oh, you're like, oh. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah how do you calm anxiety in dating I'm trying to think about I haven't been on a, on a first date in ages I think for me I think what eases it for me is just actually being very open mm. um and not you know not necessarily telling them that I'm anxious but just if I know that they're 100% well 90% cool with the disability thing they know what I look like you know obviously all my pictures are me no filter can't see to be made to filters <laughs> I don't want to make myself look weird but um yeah so if they're if I know that they're cool with that and I can have a joke with them because I like guys that are funny because if anything awkward does happen I'll just make a joke out of it and I need him to also be able to make a joke out of it mm. I don't want anyone that's uptight and oh my god she's just walked into a chair like <laughs> you need to laugh and then <laughs> bend me over the chair. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Do you know what I mean? So I feel like that helps. Yeah. Having someone that you vibe with. Yeah. You know? yeah. I, I also think um, telling, reminding yourself that when you're going on a date, it's not all about, am I good enough? Is he going to pick me? Um, am I going to be hot enough? Is he going to fancy me? It's actually about getting into your head that also this is about am I gonna like him right mm. am I gonna pick him it's a job interview that goes both ways yeah and right. and remembering that they're probably quite anxious and nervous as well yeah. um and also I think doing like some sort of affirmations and stuff before you go like 
tell yourself, I've got this, I'm hot. And think about the things that are qualities that you own that are are attractive and that you can give to another person, that you can bring to, an, to a relationship. You know, I think it's very easy before a date to get into that mentality of just being like, oh, do I look um, too fat? Do I look oh, too old? Or, you know, all of the things that might creep into your mind, you know am I going to be funny or whatever, but, but actually, you know, embrace the things that are wonderful about you and tell yourself that like, I'm funny and I've got really nice hair or what, you know what I mean? Just tell yourself the good things. Um, but recognize that actually the person that you're going on a date with is probably coming with anxiety too and not to panic too much. Um, the last question, because we've been going for quite a long time now, says, and I had loads like this actually, which was, I have an invisible disability. When would be the right time to bring that up when dating and how would I do it? Um, firstly, I think I can't really speak for that person. So it's what they're comfortable with, right? But um, for me, like going back to that thing I was saying about dating apps and how um, it removes the people that aren't interested because of my disability. I think just being upfront from really early on is really key because I would personally, I, I can't, I don't have this experience because my disability is so physical, but like I would hate to um, be talking to a guy for ages, really, really vibing with him. And then I, I tell him something that's going on in my life like that and he's not cool with it like mm. i would feel really sad about it yeah yeah i just think being upfront from um the absolute beginning yeah. is is really key and then you'll see whether or not they're cool with it mm. that's a test on them not a test on you 100 mm. percent. yeah i agree i think as soon as possible is best um and again that's why i put it in my uh bio or my profile that I can't see because you know just in a photo sometimes people can see obviously I've got glasses but they don't know that I'm um visually impaired so I just tell them straight away because I don't want to be talking to somebody and then they're like oh no and I've had that before actually I've had one guy he knew I was visually impaired because it was in my bio but then he started asking me about it he was like oh so tell me how much can you see and when I explained how much I could see literally next day he blocked me mm. and I was like oh, okay fine yeah like that's a test isn't yeah. It? yeah and yeah. It, yeah it's better to be blocked isn't it at yeah, that early stage when you don't give a fuck about them exactly. yeah exactly down the line and you just realize they're an idiot anyway yeah. so and I also think that it's probably best um so when is the right time to bring it up when dating and how you know with that and how I think it's probably better not to make it like I'm going to make a big announcement now and it might put you off <laughs> yes, and you know don't sure. don't frame it in that way frame it as you like and I don't know what hidden disability this person has but there's a whole range of them um and and I think you know learning from what you've said about acceptance and coming to that point where you accept this as just something that is a part of you yeah and whichever way you explain that normally to people who you're not dating I think you need to convey that in the same way to people that you are dating um as just this is what it is and if you need any more info about it here it is but i think if we frame things in like this might put you off um right then you're instantly introducing that as something like oh maybe i should be put off as by yeah. this do you, right. know, exactly. um, do you know a really big thing that i find is being confident in your disability as well yeah. because owning it yeah you have to own it because if you are 
worried about it and you find it a problem, then why would the other person not find it a problem? Because they're going to take it, the vibe from you. Yeah. Mm. So if you're like, do you know what? This is my hidden disability. It's blah, blah, blah. This is how it affects me. Duh, duh, duh. Okay, cool. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Okay, let's move on now. Yeah. You know, it's not a big deal. It's a part of you. It's not who you are. It's a part of you. And yeah, just... It's going back to what we say to kids, right? It's mm-hmm. just like just being open and just calling it how it is yeah and not making a big deal yeah i think it, it you know there is um there, there are going to be people who are put off by your hidden disability there are going to be yeah. but actually great you know do we want to date people who are not going to accept normal humans for all the you know different random things that go on with normal humans disabilities and illnesses and all of these things and I think that's the thing as well is that if you're getting into a relationship with somebody and you're going you're willing to fall in love and you want a family and you want the long term then you just don't know what the future is going to hold that person could develop MS next year they could get into a car accident in five years you know anything can happen and it's not you know it's not fluid it's fluid it's not like you are physically abled and this is how you will be for the rest of the relationship so i think that actually people need to be a bit more open to to variations and to understanding that if you love someone for who they are um that's the most important thing it's about the personality and and all of that because anything can happen i feel like there are quite a lot of like movie well not that many but a few movies and things like that that um that start out with two able-bodied people who fall in love and then one of them becomes disabled horrifically and then the other person has to get over it and Mm. stays with them and is the hero Mm -hmm. and there's and there's a lot like that plays into that like the idea that you should be in love already Mm. to be able to overcome Mm. that person's disability right and so it's like but actually no how about the guy or the woman is disabled from the outset and that's normalized yeah why do we have to fall in love first why can't we see the person first Mm. even when they are disabled from the beginning it's where all these ideas come from isn't it yeah small things that we see on tv and movies and they set this you know the bar for i'll never forget that someone a guy said to me um he's in a, a really long like great relationship with a woman um and she has she's not disabled but she has baggage let's say and um and I said to him once you know when you started dating how did you find that stuff and he was like oh I didn't really know about it until later and by that point I'd already fallen in love so it was okay Mm. and I was like but so it wouldn't have been okay if you'd know, like, that's what he was implying. Yeah. Right. And um, and I, I had a bit of an insight into the male mind and how that works a bit. It's interesting, isn't it? It is interesting. And I would imagine it's quite similar for people with invisible disabilities who don't say that up front. Mm. Like, you have the opportunity there to say it or not say it. And you could hide that and see how the relationship goes. And you'd you'd be totally within your right to do that and you'd be playing out what we're seeing in the movies mm. like let's make them fall in love with you first before yeah we reveal yeah. our true selves yeah i feel like that is probably a route that a lot of people take but mm. is the least healthy route because 
it shows a sense of shame, I guess, and a, of, of a worry that the person's not going to accept you for that. And I mean, how would you feel if if you'd known that that person wouldn't have accepted you unless they loved you already? Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Because how does that show how they perceive other people who they don't love, who they just see or have limited mm. interactions with? Yeah. How do they treat... Yeah, exactly. I never thought of that before. It's very interesting. What, well, we've come to the end, but what I wanted to get in before we finish was that um, I... I, again, you know, there are so many ways in in uh, which the world makes disabled people disabled. Like you, you wouldn't actually be disabled if the world was set up in a way which enabled you to, see, you know, obviously can't see. But if there were, I don't know how the world would need to change to enable you to not necessarily feel. Do you? Am I articulating it right? <laughs> it's the world that disables you rather than, I mean, you have a physical disability, but it wouldn't be such a stark thing if the world was easier to navigate yeah. in a wheelchair or with a visible, uh, a visual impairment, you know? Um, and I feel quite guilty because I have an inaccessible studio. So it's so obviously I don't own this studio, but this is the studio I use. And because my anonymity, it's quite difficult for me to go and use other studios the guy who runs this is a friend of the family so it's you know I feel safe here and stuff um and I've always wanted to do a, a podcast on dating and disabilities um and one of the people who I really wanted to get on was somebody who I consider a friend now through Instagram her name is the Kim Oliver um Kim spelt K-Y-M and she's part of a fantastic um uh, duo of women called uh, the Triple Cripples, and they call themselves the Triple Cripples because they are disabled, black, and actually, I, th- I don't know what the third triple is. I'm not sure if they're queer, but are uh, women, women, black, disabled women, which is obviously three, um, uh, you know, ways in which society kind of shits on them, basically. And Kim Oliver is just amazing. And I really wanted to get her on as a podcast guest, but I couldn't because the studio, she's in a wheelchair and there's stairs coming down to the studio and she couldn't come in. Um, And I just think it's terribly reflective of how shit society actually is. And even for someone like me who is trying to create access and amplify disabled voices and and all of that kind of stuff I still can't even accommodate a, a, a woman in a wheelchair to come and be a podcast guest here um so I feel guilty about that and but I wanted to say her name and I wanted to acknowledge um how fabulous she is um and how she should have been a guest here and how uh, I have not enabled her to be able to do that and um and that's pretty shitty and I think we've just got a long way to go. Mm. There's always um ways around things though and um also <laughs> I would say that I was having this conversation the other day with um my godmother actually and um she was saying how oh you know joy I'm really proud of you and you you never let your disability hold you back and things like that. Um but what I was saying to her was do you know what a lot of the time, people in general, we complain about things. I know I'm guilty of it. Um, but through life, I've seen that here in London, in the UK, we are lucky because 
even though you have a disability, there are still a lot of things in place that are not in place in a lot of other countries. Mm. People with disabilities are not seen at all um, or or they're seen as very, like, you know, the dirt on your shoe. Um, there's not things in place. There's no, like, you know, here in, in London, I can do turn up and go at um, the tube station. So I go to the tube station, I can get assistance, someone will guide me onto the train, call the next station, they'll guide me off. Things like that, talking buses. Um, but I have learned so much from the two of you. If I ever have a daughter, I'm going to call her Joy because I actually <laughs> think something's happened. Like somehow the name has like transferred, like permeated into your whole being because you are so joyful. Um, you've just got something about you, which is just so, you're just it's so funny. weird. Cause I'm not, I don't feel joyful. <laughs> really? Yeah. Like after I had my daughter, I had really bad depression and I still suffer with it now. Um, but I try, I try my best to, um, just I try to see life in a positive way I, I feel like the depression it's kind of like it it made me it makes me when I'm feeling happy and I'm feeling okay I like to embrace everything because mm. I know that when I'm having a dark time I don't see the world like that so when I'm feeling good I really really try to like hold on to that kind of feeling and do things while I can you've got a lovely aura you've got a really positive kind of aura do you feel like there's a pressure to live up to your name well, a little bit. My mum <laughs> said she named me Joy because she had a joyful pregnancy and a joyful birth. Oh, Well, the alternative was Rose, or if I was a boy, Benjamin. <laughs> I was going to be called Peter if I was a boy. I'm so glad I wasn't. What does Kathy mean? Kath- is you Catherine? I don't know. No, I'm just Kathy. I don't know what it means. Never looked up the meaning of your name. No. It's one of those names that like everyone knows, but nobody's called. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, Do you know any other Cathy's? No. Oh yeah, I do know. Do I you? know some Cathy's, yeah. That's, that's rare, though. Do you know what I mean? No, like, it's I think weird. Cathy's quite common. Really? Yeah. I don't know any other Cathy's. I've got about four patrons called Cathy, I think. What? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they're just <laughs> they some, some weird attraction Kathy. to me, <laughs> yeah. like people called Cathy. Um, well, I'm sure it probably means witty. You're probably going to get loads of people like coming in now. Hey, I'm called Cathy. <laughs> I will. I get loads of times. I'm called Cathy and I'm very offended by yeah. the, your lack of use. I get so many woke people in my fucking DMs. It's so... Mm, un- so but the things that they're woke over are just literally ridiculous. ridiculous yeah. Like, I get it. Like, if you te- if I had disabled people coming into my DMs saying, actually, what you just said could be taken really offensively by people with this disability, I'd be like thank you for telling me. Yeah. But when people are like, well, this is very offensive to people who don't like carrots. You're like, oh, <laughs> fuck off. Like, if only your energy could be better used elsewhere. Yeah, like. Exactly. Exactly. Anyway, thank you. Both of you are just fabulous. I hope people have learned from this. Um, I certainly have. If you've got any questions, can people ask you questions after if they listen to this and they feel like they want to chat to you? Yeah, they Depends can ask on the it vibe on the... and the kind of question, but yeah. Yeah. If they're smart questions, then yeah. And also yeah. if they're a hot guy, then 100 I was going to say, <laughs> if, you're, if, if you are a hot man and Who's you... Who's uh, fallen in love with us for, yeah. and our views on yeah. this podcast, get in touch. Their DMs are open, um, but no fetishization. <laughs> no fetishization. <laughs> um, but if you're really hot, a tiny bit's all right. <laughs> <laughs> Depends what hot is, isn't it? Like, what's the definition of hot? Oh, that's a whole other podcast. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, All right. Well, thank you both very much. Uh, And Joy can be found at at Joy's 
World, world the, the podcast. podcast. Yeah. I always want to say Joy's the world. Me podcast. too. I thought Joy's it was. I thought you made a mistake because I was like, it's surely Joy's the world. Joy. No? No, so I think world. we're thinking of Joy to the, the world. world. Yes. <laughs> Every time I type your thing in, me too. Every that's time. So funny. Joy's Joy's world, world the, the podcast, podcast and at that single mum you were lucky to get that tat I'm sure that's a yeah, very wanted insta tat I felt pretty like Woo. how long ago did you sign up <laughs> not long ago about a year and a half ago no one had it oh, oh wow I know. all those mummy bloggers and not one captured that well done thanks thanks <laughs> <laughs> so that single mum Joy's podcast <laughs> Joy's world the podcast um, and obviously I'm la 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 let me explain And I hope you've enjoyed listening. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.